Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Well, good morning, everybody, and I trust that uh, Word of God is central to your heart and to your life. So let us begin with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And let's all do it out loud together. Let's all put our uh, mutes off and our voices on, and let's make a racket this morning with God's Word into the heavenlies over our cities and over our communities in our neighborhoods. All right, let's begin. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and and praising to God. Do not be conformed to this this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is good what is good acceptable and perfect. Well, look at all those translations. There you go. You guys are good. Today, we're going to look into numbers seven and eight. We're just going to continue along the same vein that we have been doing. And you'll notice that it's kind of a repeating process from the book of Exodus. And there's a reason for that. God is trying to strengthen things in his people and to give understanding to the journey. Um, One of the things that I wanted to mention, yesterday, Joyce and I had a wonderful opportunity. There was a young couple in the Cornwall area who came to us on Sunday after the service and said, we're receiving the keys to our new home on Monday at noon. Would you be able to pray for us and pray for our home and our family? And we said, absolutely. As soon as you get the key, give us a call. And we'll be on a speakerphone, and we'll lead you through a prayer together. And so that's what we did for this young couple in Cornwall. And we worked through a whole process of doing what Scripture says in Luke, um, let me get it, chapter 10. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And so we know that a house becomes a home. And we know that Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so we worked through that. And now we see from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now Numbers, we see God establishing his house and his home in the midst of his people. And today we're going to look at the process of uh, not only anointing of all the furnishings, but the consecration of the Levites and the priests, and the understanding of sacrifice as a gift that we bring to God as a result of what he has given to us. And so the whole process of him being in the midst of his people 
has been his heart cry since the very beginning. And it's what makes us strong. It's what gives us hope. It's what encourages us along the way. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to work, work through very uh, 30,000 foot level uh, in Numbers chapter 7 and 8. I want to talk about Jesus in the book of Numbers because I think it's important to see the types that are there in the scriptures. For example, uh, let me just highlight a couple before we begin. If you were to look at the tabernacle from a distance and you would see it, there'd be a, a cloud during the day. And what that would do is represent the presence of God in the tabernacle amongst the people. And so he is the living God. And then at night, you would see a pillar of fire. You would also see little fires in some of the tents around the tent of meeting. But it would be an indicator that God is right there in the midst of his people. So each of these things gives us a little preview of the person of Jesus as he's coming into the world. And so I trust together. We're going to look at some slides together. And uh, I like visuals. Um, I'm, I like we're going to do a little um, video clip towards the end as well. And so the whole purpose of this is just to keep reinforcing everything that God is doing in the midst of this wonderful place called the Tent of Meeting. It's the place where he meets with Moses. He meets with him face to face. And I love how yesterday when Dean was talking, even the design of the various aspects of what goes on, God is very exact. And when he says to Moses, see to it that you build it according to the pattern, because he has future understanding for us, and that we see these things in their shadow, and eventually we'll see them in their full substance. And so that's what we're going to look at today, and we're going to have a good time doing it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, as we begin our time together today, our world is changing, our circumstances are changing, but you remain the constant in our lives. And because of that, Lord, we want to say thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to open the scriptures, to read those things that you have put on, print, on pages of print so that you and I can be in relationship together. Lord, thank you that the written word reveals the living word. Thank you, Lord, that the cloud of day and the fire by night is with us in the person of Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that as we look at the exactitude of your word, that you had an intent and you had a purpose and you were revealing things to us about yourself and about ourselves so that all the walls could be taken down and we could be in relationship with you. So thank you for all that you're going to do in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 7, starting at verse 1. On the day when Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, and had anointed and consecrated. Think of those two words, anointed and consecrated. 
the tabernacle with all its furnishings, anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their father's houses, who were the chiefs of the tribes, who were over those who were listed, approached and brought their offerings before the Lord. And then it goes on to talk about wagons and oxen, and day by day, you'll see it with the head of each of the tribes, they are to bring a particular offering to the Lord. They brought before the tabernacle, the Lord said to them, accept these from them, and they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service. And so I loved, as we spoke the other day, of the uniqueness of in the tabernacle, everybody had an intent and a purpose. And God made sure that each tribe had a responsibility. So Moses, in verse 6, took the wagons and the oxen, gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. Four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But, I love this part, but to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. And so what you're going to see today is that part of the furnishings have poles in them, and they were to carry them on their shoulders so that they wouldn't touch the ground. And the chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. And the chiefs offered their offering before the altar. And the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offerings one chief each day for the dedication of the altar. And then we see, here's the repeat process that goes on over and over again. What changes is a different name the name of each different tribe. And we start with Nishan of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver plate. The weight was 130 shekels. And when they used the shekel, the shekel was used also as a sanctuary measure. And the intent behind that would be a constant. So when the people brought their offerings, it wouldn't be an unjust weight, but it would be an exact weight from the shekel. Uh, of the sanctuary. 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, a golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, a bull from the herd, a ram, a male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amenadad. And so the rest of the chapter goes through a very similar process where God is saying to them, when you come to the tabernacle, to the tent, to meet with me, here's what you need to bring with you. And we know that when, when those came, it was a way for the people to say, Lord, you have already provided all of this for us. We are simply returning back to you what rightfully belongs to you, even our life. And because you've asked of this, 
we want to agree with you and bring it to the tabernacle and enter into a wonderful relationship with you. We've seen already, if we choose to do it our own way and bring strange fire or come in disobedience to God, it in those days costs you your life. And we saw that with Aaron's sons. So we go through all of that, and then we get down to verse uh, 89. When Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. So when we do things right, the heavens are open. We can hear the voice of God. He directs our steps, and we don't have to live in confusion. We can just trust that day by day, as we see the fulfillment of all these things in the person of Jesus Christ, then we can have a wonderful opportunity to walk with God. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to share my screen with you, and I'm going to open up something that uh, Joseph Anderson did a little while ago. And this is a picture of the tabernacle in the wilderness that I had in my office for years and years and years. And it would allow me every morning to have a look at all of these little tents and to say to myself, Lord, I'm in one of those tents and I'm going to bring to you what you require. And uh, I want to be able to enjoy fellowship with you day by day. In the next slide that we go to, this is kind of the, the way they were assembled together, whether it was to the north, the south, the east, or the west. Specific tribes had to be in specific locations, but you'll notice that in the very center of all of that is the tabernacle or the tent of meeting in the wilderness. And sometimes when we think of the um, 603,000 men of fighting age, we're not counting those under that and the women as well. So there's a lot of people in the wilderness. And you would think sometimes that the tabernacle itself, that it must have been huge, but it was only 75 by 150. So it's about the size of an Olympic swimming pool. It's not that big. Joyce and I were in Israel a number of years ago. We were down in Elat, and we wanted to go up to Timna and see a, a version of the temple or the tabernacle in the wilderness, but we weren't able to get there. But it's a very small tabernacle. didn't have to be big, but it had to be purposeful. And so this is what it kind of looked like, and I hope that that's a good visual for you. Here they are, either putting the tabernacle up or taking it down. And so you can see them carrying the various elements that were required for the meeting of God in their midst. And we know that when the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And so it would have been quite a, a challenge for them to put this all together, but they needed to do it. So here's the, the visual of it. And what I want you to see when we do this is God designed it. And he designed it for a specific reason. And when you look at, for example, if I start at the very beginning at the front, 
the gate of the court. Uh, it had a certain measure to it. And there was only one entrance into the uh, tent of meeting. And so when someone wanted to bring an offering and brought an animal and it was cut by the, the Levites and put on the brazen altar, and then that blood that was taken from that animal that was slain, the priests would take that eventually and put blood on the horns of the altar as a symbol before God that a life had been shed, atonement was going to be uh, provided, and the person could have a wonderful relationship with God. But you can see in this the, the symbol of the brazen altar. You move a little bit closer towards the holy place. There's a labor, and the priests had to make sure that their hands and feet were washed and were clean. And then there was a small entranceway into the holy place. And there were components in the holy place that I'll talk about as we go through that began this process of being able to come before the Lord uh, with the table of showbread, realizing there were 12 loaves that were on that, again, representing each of the tribes. No one was being left out. There was no electricity, but there was a candlestick that burned continually and provided light for the priests to work inside the holy place. And then there was a golden altar that provided wonderful fragrance of the prayers of the people of God in the holy place after they had gone through the process of sacrifice and the priests that had then done cleansing. And then once a year in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would go through the veil, and in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God would be there, and the high priest would do the same thing as everybody else. He would have to offer sacrifice for his own sin, and then offer sacrifice for the sin of the people. But could you imagine that you and I only had one opportunity once a year to be able to be in the presence of God? No wonder we have a better um, sacrifice, a better promise, a better relationship now. And so that's kind of a visual for you. Here's another one where you see some of the animals that would be placed inside. You see all the various posts. And I hope you understand that this um, external structure prevented people from going into it any other way. So there is no other way into the presence of God except through the one gate. Does that kind of remind you of someone in John 14 that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? So here would be the brazen altar. This is where the animals would first be brought and slaughtered, and then they would be placed onto the brazen altar. There'd be so much fire underneath that coming up and the parts would be consumed, the blood would then be put on the horns, and the person would be able then to know that atonement had been made for their sins. There's the horns of the altar. There's an expression that you'll sometimes hear over and over again in, in Christian circles, Lord, we need blood on the horns of the altar today, and so that's an example of what that was like. And when we're reading about these uh, furnishings, they were all anointed, they were all consecrated, they weren't just 
pieces of wood that were sitting out there. They were covered in brass outside and gold inside. And they were uh, symbolic of what God was trying to teach them about how they could approach him. And I hope that you can see, uh, here's the labor. You can see that as we go through this, there are all kinds of religions that have smells and bells. But without the shedding of blood, there's absolutely no forgiveness of sin. So when you think of your family and you think of uh, people that you know, that you're close to, that are near and dear to you, without their understanding of what God has done in the temple, then we don't really grasp the importance and the value of Jesus. And then we really see that not all religions are the same. Uh, this is from God to man. Religion is man to God, and it man to God thing doesn't work. So this is where the priest would stand at the labor. He would wash his hands and wash his feet before he would go into the, the holy place. Uh, this is inside the holy of holies. And I want you to remember that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were given a strict command not to partake of the fruit, of the knowledge of the of good and evil, that that tree was forbidden to them. That was a boundary. They were not allowed to cross that boundary. And when they transgressed, when they sinned against God, he said to them, the soul that sins shall die. And so death now has come to every human being on the planet. Every person dies. That's the wage for sin. And when they were put out of the garden, two cherubim, you can see the imagery of the cherubim that are here. And the cherubim were there to protect. And this is the Ark of the Covenant. We'll see a little bit more in a, in a moment. But this is the Ark of the Covenant. And what they're looking at is the mercy seat. And pleading, all, obviously, with God, that when the blood is placed on the mercy seat, then mercy is extended and forgiven. But never forget the role of the cherubim as the guardians of the presence of God. So even here in the temple or in the tabernacle, I should say, you have this example and you'll see it all through. Here's the table of showbread and it contained one piece of lo or loaf of bread for each of the tribes. And it was changed regularly. And you also had cups of wine. So we begin to see things that when Jesus talks later on and he said, I am the bread of life, you begin to get the, the understanding now, uh, particularly if you were Jewish, and this is part of Torah, and you studied this as a child and as you became an adult. So instantly, those would kind of make sense to you. And you can also see the poles, and that's how they would be carried from place to place. This is the candlestick, the menorah, that was in the holy place, and it was fashioned from one 75-pound piece of gold. It's perfect. God designed it, and the, the skilled makers like Bezalel and some of the other ones, they were the ones that were able to fashion it according to the pattern. And so uh, here's the altar of incense, and notice that there is blood that is there on the horns of the altar. And that's the fragrance that they would have. Remember when the 
uh, offerings came before the Lord. They would be mixed with flour. They mixed with oil. They would have spice. And this was then to help uh, the priests understand that this fragrance meant that they went from a sinful condition, a stench before God. They offered their sacrifice. They were made clean through the shedding of blood. And then when the offering of the prayers went up before the heart of God, then they were heard. Here is the peek into the Holy of Holies. So a priest uh, would be in the holy place looking in to the Holy of Holies. At, uh, once a year as a high priest, he would step in across that barrier. And he would do that in the same way that you and I would do it. So when you look at the pattern of Jesus, sometimes we ask the question, how come he had to die the way he did? Because he is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. He is representing step by step every requirement that God put for man to be forgiven of his sin and to be restored into fellowship and relationship with him. So when the high priest crossed into the Holy of Holies, the only light that was in the Holy of Holies was the presence of God. So it would have been a awe-inspiring moment in the life of the high priest. There's no question about that. And think with me now is we've got a mercy seat. And when you look inside the Ark of the Covenant, you see a few things that remind us of why this is so important that God has a covenant relationship with us. He keeps his word. And because he keeps his word, you and I can have great confidence that he is faithful, even when we are unfaithful. So the reminder of the Ten Commandments that are in there that were given to the people, the Ten Words, there's also then the uh, staff of Aaron that budded. And you remember when 12 staves were put in and God said, I will show you in the morning the man that I have chosen. And Aaron's rod began to bud. And so when Darren was talking the other day or Daryl the other day about calling and about appointment, that God is the one who does the calling. God is the one who sets people apart. And again, it's for his purpose. And he set Aaron apart for a specific purpose. And he showed that by allowing Aaron's rod to bud, to flourish, to be fruitful. And then you'll see the little in the bottom right-hand corner, a little bowl with some manna in that, showing us that God provided for them supernaturally day after day after day. And I think most of us know in the early stages of our walk with God, he does a lot of miraculous things initially, and that helps us realize, Lord, you really are providing for us. But when they stepped into the promised land, the manna stopped, and it was time for them to put into practice all the things that God had taught them. And uh, it was a whole new now uh, understanding of relationship with God. So this is what it would look like out in the wilderness and you can see that there is a wall between those on the outside and those on the inside. Um, there's an entranceway. And it isn't overly appealing. And we saw that with the porpoise or badger skins that went over it, the goat skins that covered it, the colors that were being used, the reds and the purples and the blues. 
all symbolic of elements that God wanted for us to grasp and to understand. And so if you're like me, um, I think you understand just how precious it is for each of us to step by step go through all of this and begin to realize, Lord, you have done so much for each of us uh, to be able to, to love you and know you and work with you. So let me finish because we are going, uh, just got a couple minutes to go. Uh, when we talk about the motivation of God's heart, it is always because while we were yet sinners, Christ died because he loves us. And when you know that God loves you and you see the lengths that he's gone to to demonstrate his love, you begin to say to yourself, Lord, yes, there was a wall on the outside, but Lord, you've invited me to come in and you've opened the door. And so Jesus said, I am the gate. And then when you have this opportunity to bring an offering before the Lord, we've been doing it in Romans chapter 12. Our offering is a sacrifice of our own heart. The, the labor, the basin, where scripture tells us that Jesus is the living water. Remember when he spoke to the woman at the well? And he said, you can drink naturally, but I've got water for you that'll last forever and forever. And when you got into the holy place and you saw that he could still beckon you further and further and further, he wanted you to be right in his heart. The bread of his presence that was in the holy place. Um, he said, I am the bread of life. Um, we don't live by crumbs. We live by nourishment from him. The golden lampstand, when he says to everybody, I am the light of the world. And if you walk with me, you will not walk in darkness. In the altar of incense that was there in the holy place, uh, he talks about our prayers being a pleasing aroma to God. And he calls us to a life of prayer. And he demonstrates it so much so that the disciples say, teach us how to pray like that. Teach us how to release incense up to you. And then again, in the Holy of Holies, uh, I think all of us can realize we want to be in God's presence. And we don't have to wait for just one day out of the year. He has made the atonement. And when I teach the eschatology course, I always say to them, when the high priest went in, he took blood on his fingers and he put it on the mercy seat so that when the cherubim are looking down on that mercy seat and God sees the blood on the mercy seat, he then provides the presence and the forgiveness that's needed for the high priest, for the people, for another year. In the great white throne judgment, that is when unbelievers stand before God who have rejected all of these provisions that he's made, and that mercy seat is wiped clean, and there is no longer mercy, there's no longer blood. All there is now is the judgment of God's word, the judgment of God's leadership, and the judgment of God's provision for them every single day of their life. So when it's all completed, uh, and we see God's word being fulfilled, as we're reading now, just through the book of Numbers, we begin to realize, Lord, you have made everything available to us that is needed 
to be in relationship with you. And we don't have to be outside the wall anymore. We don't have to live in a state of unforgiveness. And so let me pray for you as you go into your day. And as you do go into your day, I want you to think that it is as though you have come out of the temple or out of the tabernacle today, knowing that your whole life has been forgiven of all your sin and that you are in perfect relationship with him. And because of that, you can go into your day with a bright face, with a glad heart, and with rejoicing that God has uh, been made right in your life and you have been made right in his life. And the purpose of the tent of meeting is that you're in fellowship with him. So Father, as we go into our day, we want to say thank you. And you have a purpose for each of our lives. And we're seeing these purposes unfold. And God, the greatest purpose is that we come to know you and that we end up enjoying fellowship with you that the blood of Christ is applied to our hearts and our lives, because without it, there's no forgiveness. So Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you have forgiven us. And we thank you now that we can go into our day and make a difference in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. Have you ever joined one of our live online Bible studies? When you become a HeartStrong member, you will have access to all of our live Bible studies. These studies are amazing because we get to do it together. We listen to the teaching and then we spend about 30 minutes discussing what we have learned. You will hear powerful testimonies, insights, and questions and prayer times from people like you and me. We would love to see you there. Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to join. And we look forward to seeing you at one of our live online Bible studies soon. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples together.